Sports Ethos New York Nick Podcast. Andre Gallagher, big win in L.A. You didn't see it coming. If you thought about it, you said, you know what? They got a chance and won in L.A. last year. Not necessarily playing all that great, but they brought it. They said they had a spirited practice right before this game, trying to get their defensive communication down, their rotations down, and you saw it pay dividends a little bit in this Laker game. I mean, the Lakers had some open shots and layups that they didn't make. That's part of the game. And once again, Randall, a hero in this game. He's, you know, he he made play after play. He put in a yeoman's effort, played long minutes in that first half. He only came out, I think, the last five minutes in the second quarter. A lot of controversy surrounding that. Uh, I don't exactly know why they did it. I don't know if they were trying to match. I mean, the Lakers are a big team. I know we talked about this before, right? The, the Knicks probably shouldn't play small against big teams. They should probably do their best to play big against big teams. It doesn't mean they have to play big all the time. But I'm not exactly sure if Randall was matching Bron's minutes exactly. You know, I watched the game twice now. It seemed like they, he was matching Bron's minutes, but Bron did come out in that first half, and he wasn't out when Randall went out late in the quarter. So... I don't know if it was riding a hot hand with Randall. Um, I think that might be a thing, too, where, hey, if the guy's hot, let him stay in the game. You know, I got in back and forth with a guy on Twitter over this because the Knicks built a 12-point lead with about six, seven minutes to go in the first half, and they lost the lead when Randall came out, Randall came out, I think around a four or five minute mark. It wasn't 12 anymore. It was like seven or nine. He came out and I don't think it was four or five. It was like three or four minutes. He came out and, um, the Knicks lost the lead. They went into that. They went into the half down one. I think they lost again. They lost some of that lead before Randall came out. And of course the criticism is, you shouldn't have played Randall all of those minutes. That's why when you took him out at the end of the half, the Knicks lost the lead. And, I, and, and it's kind of a weird perspective, and that's what I told the guy, and I, I was sick of going back and forth with him. If if you made a move that led to you being plus 12, okay, it's hard to criticize taking the person out of the game and you losing points and you being down. Yeah, again, he wasn't up 12 when he came out. He was up like five, five, six, seven, somewhere around there. And the guy comes out and you lose the lead. You criticize the rotation, but the rotation led to the 12-point lead. Keeping the guy in led to the 12-point lead. You can't just look at the fact that you take the guy out and you lost the lead. Losing the lead probably suggested maybe he shouldn't even come out at all. <laughs> As opposed to, oh, I think he should have come out when I want him to come out. Well, maybe they would have lost the lead before. I think what he was trying to say was the Lakers starters were in at the end of the quarter and Randall wasn't. So that's why they were able to push ahead. But the Lakers starters were in in that second half when the bench got a lead on the Lakers. So I, I just think it's a matter of perspective. I think it's it's always easy to second-guess something that you don't like. You didn't want Randall to play all those minutes. You want Tibbs to be a bad coach. 
So you call it out. He's doing something different. He's freestyling, something that we talk about all the time, him not doing, and then you criticize him for it. But it led to him being a net positive. And once you take the guy out of the game, they lost the lead. It stands to reason that if you took him out earlier, they would have lost the lead earlier. And if you say it's just because the Lakers starters were in at the end of the quarter, they started the half that lead was gone with Randall and Runson on the floor. Half that 12-point lead was gone with Randall and Brunson on the floor. So they had already started making that run. But but again, you, you do something that leads to a lead. Playing a guy that leads to a lead, and you take him out, and you lose the lead, it's hard to criticize the person who had the guy in the game when you got the lead. It's just tough. It's a t- I'm not saying it's 100%. Just tough. But too much time on that. Randall is... Playing off the charts, you got to give him his credit any way you slice it. You criticize him plenty. You're talking about over the last 20 games, the man's averaging 25 points per game, nine rebounds, five assists, shooting 51% from the field, 79% from the line. And, you know, the, the 33% is just maybe one percentage off. From where he was last year is not a great percentage. But he's not taking as many threes anymore. So he's not killing you, and people do respect him out there. So he does space the floor with those threes, with his three point shooting, because they don't want to leave him open. He's just playing really, really well right now, man. You, the things that he does wrong kills you, <laughs> they kill you. We can't. Can't act like it's not the case. They do. But you can't just... You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot of good that he does. A lot of good that he does out there on the floor. And you can't just focus on the bad. And what the Knicks have done... And you st- and they started doing it a little bit... Like second half of last year... Is they've, they've started to kind of mitigate... The things that he does poorly... By keeping the ball away from him towards the end of the game. Sometimes to their detriment. If your guy is playing well. You should probably let him have the ball towards the end of the game. And I'm sure he's not happy about having good games and not having the ball at the end. But you saw it again last night. You know, there was uh, it was a play. He was able to touch the ball down the stretch. And he got double teamed. And it was a mess. It was just a mess. He's just not good at handling those double teams in a big spot. When the referees start putting their, the whistle in their pocket, he's just not good at it, bottom line. Uh, what the Knicks did at the end of that game, with about seven minutes ago, they almost screwed the pooch. They went to ISO hero ball with Jalen with like seven, eight minutes to go in the game and like a seven-point lead. And you almost they, they lost all momentum doing that. You know, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with going to Jalen down the stretch of games, two, three minutes, perfectly fine with it. He's come through. He's come through for a season and in a couple of months now. He came through when he was in Dallas. He came through when he was in Villanova. Like, I'm perfectly fine with it, but don't do it with seven, eight minutes ago. Let's not do ISO Jalen with seven, eight minutes ago. That's just, that doesn't make sense. It's silly. Uh, luckily, with about three minutes left to go in the game, the Knicks lead virtually kind of cut in half the fourth quarter lead. They made a substitution. Not, um, did they make a substitution? I think they just called a timeout, and the Knicks just started running offense. 
The offense had been working the whole game. You had no reason to go to ISO Jalen. Run the offense that's been working the whole game. And get yourself a good shot. That's what you need to do. You know, and then right before that timeout, they realized the ISO Jalen wasn't working. They went to some they went to some other offense and went to RJ Barrett of all people. And RJ Barrett turned the ball over. Right? You weren't doing none of that to get the lead. None of it. You weren't going to RJ. RJ Barrett was three of ten in the game. It's time to have a conversation with him. I talked. I told you I thought he was gonna have a good season this year. I went on and on about it. Changed the jump shot. Then when he got injured, I told you I was concerned that he was going to go off the rails, and that's exactly what's happened. He's been terrible. He's been terrible. Bottom line, RJ Barrett is not a net positive on the floor when he's not scoring. Period. I don't care how much you like him. I don't care how fair you want to be. He's not a net positive when he's on the floor. Time, game in, game out. He's not a net positive when he's on the floor when he's not scoring. He doesn't pass. He doesn't create offense frequently or consistently. And he uh, doesn't make shots. <laughs> doesn't make shots. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing with R.J. Barrett that I always do, uh, the good and the bad. You're watching it out there. He is hurting the team. The team is winning in spite of him when he's playing like this. They're winning in spite of him. You need to go look at it last night. They're winning in spite of him. He's supposed to be he's the third highest paid player on the team. He's supposed to be one of the top three players on the team. Early in the, in the season, he was the best player on the team. Playing the best, I should say. And now he's he's out there on scrub duty. It's like the thing with Jalen, I mean, I'm sorry, the thing with RJ is RJ's mean, his mean production, his mean game is not good enough for this team. The high RJ is great. The very good RJ is great. The bad RJ is too frequent. And the mid RJ is way too frequent. That's his mean. That's not good enough for this team. It drags the team down. And that's why I went on that whole little rant about how whatever trade the Knicks make, it comes down to the dynamic of, and and I made it about Grimes, but I'm just going to say the shooting guard position. It's about the shooting guard RJ combination. Because the shooting guards, let's just make them all, let's just put them all together. Right? Heart. Devo, Grimes, and throw quickly in there as well. And the reason why I throw quickly in there, because this is about practical, this is a practical conversation. It's not about starters. You got to get so focused on starters. Cam Reddish could be a starter for the Lakers, so why couldn't he be a starter for the Knicks? It's not about st- starter, okay? It's about winning combinations. It's about winning combinations. For the Knicks, day in, day out, that shooting guard position is going to be occupied by one of four people. Quickly, Grimes, Hart, Devo. Okay? Each one of them have their own pros and cons. We're not going to go into them right now. But they are all net positives on the floor, game in, game out. I think Grimes might still be recovering from the negatives early in the year so I'm not speaking literally but just if we go back for the last year for Hart quickly and Grimes going back to last year and Devo just looking at this season 
They're all net positives for the Knicks. They do positive things on the floor, even when they're not shooting well. They all bring some element of defense. They all bring some element of toughness, physicality. They all bring some element element of offensive play, Hart being the weakest shooter of the three. But he's a playmaker, right? Led the league last year, I believe, in uh, rebounds to, uh, to layups. You know, get the rebound and, and one man fast break to the to get a layup. Led the league last year. He's great in transition. He's a good playmaker and, and for the second unit. All of them bring something positive to the team. So whoever's playing, you're getting something positive. RJ, however, last year was one of the least efficient players in the league. I'm talking bench starters, you name it. One of the least efficient players in the league. And you guys who are RJ stands and go, oh, you know, RJ, he averaged 20 points a game. Oh, man, they don't got nothing to do with nothing when you're not shooting well. No assists, not enough rebounds, no steals, no blocks. He's not doing anything. Defensively, he was terrible for most of the year last year. Picked it up in the last couple months. What he's giving you offensively, what he's giving you on the floor in totality Offense and defense is not good enough. It's not good enough. Period. Game in, game out. And I'll give you the positives. The positives, RJ stepped up in the playoffs last year. RJ's built for New York. The pressure doesn't get to him. All of that. He does have an offensive game. When he's on, he's on. I get it. But game in, game out, that inconsistency kills the Knicks because... Unlike the other guys on the floor, he doesn't give you anything else when he's not scoring. Not giving you anything else. Don't tell me Jalen doesn't give you anything else. Because teams have to scheme against Jalen. So just Jalen having the ball is giving you something. Him getting to his spots is giving you something. Because they're scheming to stop him, which means they're opening up lanes and opportunities for other people. Don't give me quickly. Quickly sometimes could be a little shaky, but his defense is never shaky. We talked about Grimes at nauseum, but his defense, even though we took a step back early in the year, is still top-notch. It's still necessary. It's still giving you something. And he spaces the floor. Shooting a good three, has a good three-point shooting percentage. Same thing with Quickly. Same thing with Brunson. Just the fact that they are capable shooters gives you something. Brunson being the weakest defender of, of the of the group that we're talking about here. But they all give you something positive. Being on the floor. They're not guarding RJ. RJ is a good fast break transition guy. Outside of that, if he's not making his shots from the outside... And he's playing a good defensive, paint defensive team. He's not going to make his shots inside. You can't sustain yourself with a guy whose most effective offensive zone is three to five feet from the basket against the best defensive teams in the league and having a center who is inept offensively, which is what happens when Mitchell Robinson is playing. Or... In the case of Hartenstein, the center is not really spacing the floor. But Hartenstein gives you another offensive uh, option, at least, when you get into the paint. 
But you see it all the time when RJ is playing elite defenders in the paint. He keeps going at them and he keeps sending it back. There's nothing here for you. So if you're not hitting your shot, they're not guarding you out there. So you're not hitting your shot. You've got to attack downhill. You're attacking into a crowded paint. You're attacking the defense is waiting for you to drive. Attacking the defense waiting for you to go left. And if you're not in your bag, if you're not crisp when you get into that paint, if you're not looking to make a play for other people, then you are a negative on the floor. Because even when you're playing decent defense, it's not a plus plus situation for most, most of the time with RJ. So when I talk about improving the team, I'm, I'm saying that dynamic between those two positions is the key here. If you try to replace one of the guys who are playing at the shooting guard position and you keep RJ, you might be running in place. You might be you might be spinning your wheels. Because at the end of the day, you still are having to pay and play someone who is a net negative on the court way too often. And whose biggest benefit he brings to you is is when he gets going offensively and when he gets clutch in big spots. But he won't have the ball because you have just added someone who also is going to want the ball in that situation. And you're adding him to two other guys who also want the ball in that situation. So you have to be giving you give give the team something else, and he's incapable of doing that consistently. You follow? There's only one ball, and the one thing that he does well, he doesn't do it that well, but he needs the ball to do it, and he won't have it. <laughs> and he won't have it. You get it? Don't replace players who are playing well. And I understand you have a long game there. It's another conversation we'll go, go into uh, when we do the trade show. Don't replace guys who are giving you something positive every night and keeping the one guy who's giving you something negative too many nights. Because that negative is still going to drag you down when it matters the most against the best teams. So if you're going to improve that shooting guard position, don't bring a guy who needs the ball in his hands all the time. You better bring in a guy who doesn't. You bet I'm telling you, bring in a six seven Norm Powell. You gotta find him. I gotta find this guy. I don't know who he is. It might be Sadiq Bay, but he's not really a shooting guard. And people, oh, he can move RJ to shooting guard. Whatever. Yeah, RJ can't guard any shooting guards, but whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. I I don't think I think Sadiq Bay I'm not gonna go into it right now. We're gonna do a whole show. But you need you need a six seven Norm Powell, a guy who doesn't need the ball, but is efficient when the ball finds him. That's what you need if RJ's going to be on the team, because the ball still RJ has to be an offensive option. He still has to be the third option on your team. He still has to be because he doesn't do anything else. So what's what's the point of having him? He doesn't do anything else. So he has to be used, and his usage kills the team. It kills him. Kills him. Too often, I should say. Too often when he's not playing well, which is too often. So if you're going to make a move, it should be the RJ position. Which makes sense considering his salary. Move him for the guy that you're looking for. And keep the shooting guards. For the most part, you might have to get rid of them in their trade. Again, I ain't going to it right now. But those guys are giving you good stuff every night. Get rid of the guy who's not. And I hate to put it that way. Anyway, just an outstanding game last night. Randall 
when he has a bone to pick with someone and he wants to show out, you definitely see a lot of times you see the best of him, which kind of bugs me a little bit. It's the same thing when Brunson had a bad game in Utah and came out in Phoenix at a 50-point game. I get it. We're all human. But when there's a whole nother gear and we see that you have a whole nother gear way too often, or I should say way too, too seldomly, I should say, we don't see that gear often enough. But we know you want to show out against the Lakers. It's your former team and all of that stuff. Anthony Davis is your former teammate. I know you want to show out. Everybody knows you want to show out. Same thing last year. Everybody knows you want to show out. But what about these other games when you just be chilling sometimes? But again, RJ, no, not RJ. Julius is playing very, very well. Very, very well. You can't, you can't, can't fault anything he's doing for the most part. Uh, over these last few games, and that's why it's really hard to replace him in general when you're talking about trades. Brunson also played very well last night. IQ played awesomely last night. And there's a little exchange. It wasn't IQ to Cam directly, but I just felt like the Knicks were going at Cam Reddish between Brunson and IQ. It looked like they were going at him a little bit because the idea that Cam Reddish is this awesome defensive player right now is highly overstated highly overstated Cam Reddish's problem when he was with the Knicks last year was he was terrible in screen coverage and what the Lakers do sometimes they mix up that screen coverage and oftentimes they blitz it where he's awesome awesome at blitzing it he's long, he's athletic he has good hands, he has good uh, instincts when it comes to stealing the ball no question, he's a gambler but he has poor defensive discipline and poor defensive technique, which is why Brunson used him and abused him in that fourth quarter. If you watch it, go back and watch it. You, I might just record it just from my own library, because he used and abused him in that fourth quarter. It's the reason why Cam Reddish got put on the bench last year with the Knicks, because he could not guard the screens. He couldn't do it properly. Couldn't. He got faked often. He got faked into going into the screen and the guy dribbled away from the screen. He gets he dies on the screen a lot. Brunson had him in space and had him on skates. He he has good defensive he has good physical tools, but he has bad discipline. Which he can get better at, which is fine. Which is fine. And in certain schemes he can be a, a demon defensively, but he's not necessarily. And against certain players, he could be a demon defensively. But he is still a little light, a little light in the bridges, which hurts, which hurts a lot defensively. He's not the awesome defensive player that people have made him. You see, when you see a guy get blocks and steals, you you think of that guy as being an awesome defensive player, and you don't really because you're you're looking at highlights, you're not really watching. What's happening play after play after play, right? And the Knicks treated Cam Reddish like he wasn't anything out there, right? He wasn't going to guard anybody. He wasn't going to guard Randall when he got switched on him once or twice. He wasn't guarding Brunson when he was in space. There was a little exchange where Brunson crossed up Cam, which he had done like three, four times in that fourth quarter. This time Cam bumped him with like knee him to the thigh, and Brunson fell to the ground and looked like he said, he can't guard me. 
and quickly had a little sequence early in the fourth quarter where quickly iso cam right dribbling ball up court and you hardly ever see quickly do that and step back and shot the three on him and instead of skipping down court with a big smile on his face like he usually does he looked at the bench and I'm an amateur very amateur lip reader and it looked like he said you can't do that basically meaning either put Cam on me or have Cam play him the way Cam played him. They they had no love for Cam in that game. They went right at him. Right at him. And if you were looking for some comments after the game, Cam Redder said, I don't got nothing for you. I'm not in New York anymore. My time in New York is over is what he said. None of that. I didn't see the post-game handshakes and all of that kind of stuff, but I didn't. A lot of times you see guys who were ex-Knicks in the last three, four years. They start talking about their time here. It was good to see the guys, whatever. None of that. None of that from Cam. They didn't get none of it. None of it. No comments in the media, nothing. Now, it could be just because he didn't have a good game. And you know that some of you fake, you know, clickbait fans out there who are not intellectually honest about Cam Reddish because you can say Cam Reddish is playing decently in his role and playing some decent defense, but stop acting like Cam Reddish is supposed to be Frank Nilakina. Cam Reddish is supposed to be 20-point scorer. That's what you told me. He's an all-star caliber player, all-star talent. Don't, you didn't tell me he was a defensive uh, uh, specialist. You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that's why Tibbs had to play him because he was a defensive specialist. You didn't tell me that. You've been trying to compare Cam to Quentin Grimes struggling... These first couple months, like Quentin Grimes is not shooting uh, high 30% from three and Cam shoot 30%. If that. Cam's not giving no offense to this team. And that's what you told me Cam was. You didn't tell me Cam was a defensive player. You told me that Tibbs was not using him correctly. And now he's playing with the Lakers and they're doing the same thing. <laughs> they literally just got him standing around waiting for the ball. The same thing that Tibbs was doing. But y'all said Tiz was using him wrong, and you're saying the Lakers are using him right. Come on, man. Come on, man. I'm not going to say he's not playing any defense. He's playing some good defense. It's just when it came down to it with the Knicks, it was those defensive mistakes, that, that undisciplined mistakes that cost, cost the Knicks. And the Knicks have other options defensively that are going to be less likely to make those mistakes at the time. Before Hart was here, it was Grimes and Quickly and McBride. And that's why they put him on the bench and played those guys. And then they started playing very well after they made that change. I told you, his his net the Knicks net rating when he sat down was in the positive. <laughs> when he was on the floor, it was in the negative. Simple as that. That was their offensive rating. I think it was... Minus six when he was on the floor, plus three point five when he was when he was uh, on the bench. Y'all are not intellectually honest at all when you have these conversations about OB and Cam, and it's really about clickbait. And if it's not about clickbait, it's about laziness because you guys are just watching highlights, listening to commentators say Cam Reddish has really had a resurgence here with the Lakers, and and oh, it doesn't you know the fact that he's uh, he's only shooting thirty percent from three is not a big deal. They don't really need his offense. Like they, you just skip off over that part. Well, the Knicks would have needed his offense. He would have been one more guy who couldn't shoot on the floor. You complain about Josh Hart shooting but not Cam Reddish? Just shut up. Enough. Enough. 
If Cam Reddish had come out and eaten the Knicks alive, you guys would have been out of your minds. Out of your minds. But you're silent now. You're silent. Go look at Cam Reddish's game log. Y'all act like he's out here scoring 30 points a night. 25, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, nothing. Barely getting the double figures night to night and y'all talking about him. Y'all not intellectually honest. You're full of it. You're full of it. Anyway, good win for this team last night. You got to take it. You got to take it. And what you don't want from the Knicks, you don't, and, and you don't want to see a repeat of what happened in Utah when they played the Nets on Wednesday. And it's not to say that the Nets are not a team capable of beating them. It's just they shouldn't. The Nets always have a bone to pick with the Knicks. You have Mikal Bridges uh, and playing against his Villanova teammates. And you have Dinwiddie, who hates the Knicks and hates the Knicks fans and always wants to come and get them. You have Cam Johnson, who uh, really had some nasty back and forth with, with Randall when he was in Phoenix. Looks like he always wants to get the Knicks. It's like there's a rivalry there of sorts between Brooklyn and New York. So there's always going to be a little heat to those matchups. And, and the Knicks last year were able to rise to the occasion many a night, not just not just against Brooklyn, but in general, when they needed to win games. But every now and then they trip up and falter uh, when, they, when, uh, they shouldn't, when they should just hunker down, focus on what needs to be done, and do it. And after this long road trip, it's real easy. It's only one day off. It's real easy to get home, get comfortable, and play this Nets team and wet the bed. And to me, you can... When I look at a road trip, they were 2-2. Two and two. The win against Phoenix, the win against the Lakers, are not wins that you look at the schedule and you say they're going to get. That loss to the Clippers, that was definitely a loss that you had to assume. 90% chance they're going to lose that game. So that can happen back-to-back. But you looked at that Utah game, and you had to think that they had, they had a, a very good chance of winning that game. They beat a better Utah Jazz team last year on the road when they were a worse team. And then they come out and they lose that game. That was a win they should have had, and they didn't get it. But then they got two wins that were iffy at best. Iffy at best. Essentially replacing the loss to Utah. Because you don't expect them to beat Phoenix and the Lakers, so you're coming. You're coming home. You're coming home getting, I think, a plus one from what your expectations really realistically could have been based on how they were playing, not how, not based on what they needed, but how they were playing. So two on two, you have to be happy with that. But when you come home and you go to Boston, I mean, I'm sorry, Brooklyn, and you play the Nets and you lose that game, it's like you lost one of those games on that road trip. Because this is a game you need to win. Period. Win this game, get some get some momentum, get moving in the right direction. You know, you saw Jericho Sims get injured in this game. God bless the kid. I hope he gets better. Uh, he was in a walking boot after the game. All the best to Jericho. Uh, Taj Gibson, one thing I would say about him, obviously he's rusty, he hasn't played. He looks a little light, looks a little skinny, skinnier than he was before, uh, being that he has to play the center position a lot. That's not a good thing. I don't think he's quite ready to play. So it's going to hurt to not have Sims out there uh, a little bit to give you a couple bulk minutes. Bulky. When I say bulk minutes, I mean just having some physical, have a physical guy at that center position 
to take some pounding, to take a break from, uh, to take a load off of Isaiah, because I just don't think Taj is quite ready to put in, you know, what essentially would be, I don't know, 20 plus minutes a game. Now that Sims is injured, I don't know if he's quite ready for that. But as I talked about in previous episodes, he need, that's what the Knicks need. They they need Taj Gibson to give them 20 minutes a game and bring what Taj Gibson, I think Taj Gibson can bring this team. I just don't know. He's I don't know if he has his breath yet. I don't know if he has the, the physicals, the rust shaking off yet to do it right now. But he needs to get to it because I think right now the Knicks have a chance to make a push with the Hartenstein, Taj Gibson center matchup every night or I should say rotation every night and now I'm rolling the dice on Taj I understand he's rusty and it's just the fact that he's rusty and and potentially out of shape that makes me a little skittish I think he might need a couple games to get himself together Uh, but once he does I am hopeful now should they need to get a third guy they definitely need to get a third guy just for insurance but I am hopeful and, and optimistic that the Knicks with Hartenstein and Taj will be efficient offensively and solid defensively more so than they were and would have been with Jericho Sims. Now, obviously, you got to play Milwaukee later on in the week. You know, I, don't, I don't know if it matters who you played, but you're too small for a Milwaukee team potentially. But most teams you're not going to be too small against. You know, you're going to be too small against Embiid in Philadelphia. But most teams are not going to be too small against. So you don't worry about the bad matchups here and there. But night in, night out, Hartenstein, Taj Gibson, give Taj a good week or so. Give him a week or so. And it's going to pay off for the team. I'm telling you, it's going to pay off for him. At Sports Ethos on Twitter, at Ethos Knicks. Until next time.